0: First Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you... But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And you can be seated. Well, I, I hope our study this morning in the Word of God is actually a, a huge encouragement to you. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and I, and I trust you will be blessed. Uh, we're going to actually take two weeks to go through this, this little section Um, because it's it's just so packed and I think we need to talk about every little bit of of what's going on in here Um, it might sound a little bit odd that I would I would hope that that you are blessed coming out of uh this study because We might just mark this passage down as one of the most offensive passages in the bible to our culture right now And really to any culture that's that's ever lived um, our culture hates virtually every phrase and every word That is in this whole section What we call sin because god calls sin they would call virtue And they find offense at what the bible has to say Uh, The list of sins that we have here is often called a vice list Uh, That's sort of the the technical term for it It's a list of sins that are common and they are rampant and they are easy to identify Um, There's there's actually several vice lists in the Bible, what I, what I might encourage you, we're going to be flipping around a little bit this morning, so, so stick with me. I'll try and give you guys time to turn, uh, but you might grab a bookmark, keep it here, um, and then let's go over to Romans chapter 1 for a minute. So just one book to the right, Romans 1, and, and we're actually going to be coming back to Romans 1 later too, so you may just keep a bookmark here as well. But here, Paul talks about the downfall of society, sort of the degradation process that happens when a society sort of goes down the road of sin. He starts off talking about sexual sin. Uh, God will give a society over to sexual sin. Then God will give a society over to homosexual sin. And then the the last sort of phase in all of that is a debased mind where the society has no understanding at all of what is right and wrong it's sort of the Isaiah 5 what is bitter they call sweet what is sweet they call bitter what is light they call darkness what is darkness they call light everything morally speaking is turned upside down that's when god gives people over to a do de- a depraved mind but at the end of romans 1 we have another vice list take a look down at verse 28 paul says and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god god gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That's an interesting one. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. That's a pretty pretty big vice list. And what's interesting is, as you noticed at the end, it's not just those who do these sins that are condemned, it's actually those who go on and applaud those who are doing them. That are also condemned as well people who give shade as it were to those who are in out and out sin they are encouraging the depravity of others by the way that's basically every marketing campaign out there it's it's almost every tv show it's it's every movie it's just rampant who can applaud the loudest the fastest and to the latest round of depravity. Again, we'll look at Romans one later. Let me show you two other viceless, just so you get a feel, this is not uncommon in the Bible. In fact, we, we could say even goodness, most of Leviticus and Deuteronomy are viceless, but uh turn over to first Timothy chapter eight. All right first Timothy eight. First Timothy chapter one, verse eight. There's no chapter eight in First Timothy. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we have a discussion on the value of using the Old Covenant law. So we're New Covenant Christians, and we're not under the Old Covenant law. So, so then the question is, well, what, what can we use the Old Covenant law for? Well, actually, we can use it for a lot of things. We can use it for example. We can use it to understand what the moral, the basic moral um, responsibility um, the people of God have to God We can also use it to point out sin to unbelievers. That's one of the ways that we can use the old covenant law. If people don't think they're sinners, then they don't think they need a savior. So part of what we need to do for people is to understand the the exceeding sinfulness of their sin is what Paul would say. And so here we have uh, another vice list starting in 1 Timothy 1 down in verse eight. This is called the value of using the law. He says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully or we could say correctly understanding this that the law is not laid down for the just for those who are saved but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality enslavers liars perjurers And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So, again, a whole vice list. And part of the reason for this vice list and really any vice list, Paul says, is actually to help unbelievers understand that what they are doing is sinful. Again, if they don't understand that what they're doing is sinful, then they don't need a savior. And they don't need to repent from that. But as we are calling people to repent from their sin and to trust in Jesus, they need to know what is, in fact, sinful. It, uh, there, there are plenty others. You can jot down Galatians 5, 19 through 21 if you're taking notes. That's the, the works of the flesh. And then right after that is the fruit of the Spirit. you remember that? Well, there's another vice list. Um, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 18, there's a vice list. I'll just read this. This is interesting. It includes people who are faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, and he actually throws in their cowards. People who are cowards. That's an interesting one. People who are cowards don't make it into heaven. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that in Christ we have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love casts out what? Fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Do we struggle with fear? Yes, I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm afraid of things. I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of what they'll think. But that is not from God. That's not from the spirit. That's from my own sinful flesh. What's from God is a, a spirit of fear, or not a fear, spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love. I was listening actually to a, to a podcast recently on on the fear of man and on people being filled with anxiety and that sort of thing. And the guy said something interesting He said stop telling god about your fears and start telling your fears about your god I thought that's good because we serve a powerful god. We serve a god who is sovereign over all things We serve a god who can give us strength and give us power to live a faithful life So we are not to be afraid we are not to be cowards. We are to stand When we are called to stand now just just Real quick, as we talk about these vice lists, one thing to understand is that these are not the only sins that matter to God. And these aren't even necessarily the big sins, I don't think. Maybe there are some, some big cultural ones here that we see. I think more than anything, these are a list of common and obvious sins. That, that especially when we're talking to people and, and they are depraved of mind, maybe God has given them over, or they are, they, they are just out to lunch in terms of morality— these are the ones that we need to talk to them about and help them to understand that these are in fact wrong And so um, These sins and others all other sins if not repented of through faith in jesus Will be an indictment that god gives to people on the day of judgment. So we need to understand that Well, let's go back to first corinthians 6 Why does paul bring this up? Why is this vice list here? What's what's going on? Why why all of a sudden does he make a list of? Of depravity. Well, remember that he had been talking about lawsuits amongst believers in the church, and and encouraging and commanding believers to not sue one another. These these believers were essentially going to small claims court against one another, and Paul said, "You you got to stop. This is this is not right at all." Um, unbelievers were watching these believers sue one another, and these believers, interestingly enough, they were going to court of unbelievers to to settle these small financial matters they're, they're squabbling about these asinine things so look at first corinthians 6 verse 1 he says when one of you has a grievance against another does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints and then you look down at verse 7 and he kind of clarifies it and he says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And so, so what he's doing is he's, he's continuing the encouragement to stop suing each other. Stop, stop suing one another. This is sort of the continuation of that argument. Unbelievers have no part in the kingdom of God. That, that's his point. They are defined by immorality. They are defined by sinfulness. And that's not how we as believers are defined. So, so if we've got a financial thing that's gone sideways in the church, we we wouldn't go back to the unbelievers. That's who we were. We were pagans. We were involved in all of that stuff. Now we've been washed, sanctified, and justified in Jesus. And what what it would be like is is if we were going back to that sinful pagan lifestyle to solve our problems within the church. Paul says, "Don't do that. You don't go back to them. You've been transformed." Now. I just want to be honest, as we, as we deal with this vice list, a lot of times the reason that we come to vice lists in the Bible is to, like, clobber unbelievers. Like, that's the reason, isn't it? Right? We go here, and it's like, I'm going to show my friends, like, homosexuality is a sin, and I'm going to beat them down with it. And the Bible says it and that sort of thing. And, and there's a sense, like we saw in First Timothy 1, where we do need to show people the law, and we do need to show them that. But you need to understand that is not the point here. The point here is to actually remind the Corinthians of the grace that they've received in Jesus Christ. The controlling verse in this whole section is verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. That's past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our god that's what you have to remember and as such were some of you we are no better you guys than the pagans no better at all we are just as sinful we are just as as deserving of damnation as anybody else on the planet the only difference between them and us is that we have had faith in the lord jesus christ and he has washed our sins away that's the only difference is that we have experienced the grace of god god has washed us sanctified us And justified us. We'll we'll unpack those powerful phrases next week. But what you need to understand is that there is no sin. There's no sinful behavior. There's no sinful pattern. Whatever we want to call it. That is more powerful than the grace of Jesus Christ. So whatever you might be struggling with. Did did Jesus really forgive me of that? Or maybe you're not a believer. And you go, can I really be forgiven of that? You know what the answer is? Absolutely. 100% Yes, and maybe you've got that family member and you're like I don't know I don't know. I think they're too far gone. I think I Maybe 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 you know what the grace of jesus can save them too If he has saved you he can save them. He can save anyone He can save absolutely anyone that the author of uh, the song amazing grace john newton He said at the very end of his life when he could barely see he could barely hear he said I know two things I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. That's what he knew at the end of his life. And you know what? That's all we need to know, those two truths. We sing the song, His Mercy is More. I'm just going to read it to you. Sometimes when we're singing, we forget the truth inside the song, right? We are just kind of singing along, and we know the song and that sort of thing. But it says, What love could remember no wrong we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts off not their sum god is omniscient he knows everything and yet somehow he doesn't account to us the sins that we deserve to be identified with it says thrown into a sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many but what his mercy is more that's what we sing over and over The grace of Jesus covers all sins to the fullest extent. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about one hard truth. It's in verse 9. And then I want to unpack these sins sort of one by one. I think we'll get through four sins this morning. But I want to unpack them from the perspective of grace. That the grace of Jesus can cover these sins for those who come to him seeking forgiveness. So what's the hard truth? Let's talk about the hard truth first. The hard truth is those who don't repent from their sins will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who do not repent from their sins will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 9. He says this very clearly. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, and then he goes on to, to, to his list. So we need to be really clear on this issue as as believers That there is only one way to heaven There is only one way to enter into the kingdom of heaven to have your sins forgiven to have christ christ's righteousness imputed to you And that is through faith in the lord jesus christ How do you know you have faith in jesus christ? It's it's by a redeemed life a life that has been transformed Not a life that has been made perfect in the sense we still sin and we still struggle with sin but a life whose trajectory has been changed A life who is now dedicated to repentance, a dedication to faithfulness, a dedication to reconciliation when we wrong and sin. But not everyone will enter the kingdom. There are going to be a lot of people, you guys, who say they follow Jesus, who say they love Jesus, and who on the last day, Jesus will say, I never knew you. And they will say, Lord, Lord, but we did all this stuff for you. They're calling him Lord. They're identifying as Christian. Maybe they did a lot of things in church. Maybe they did a lot of good works. And you will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of what? Do you remember? Iniquity. Iniquity. Lawlessness. There are people who will name the name of Jesus, but their life is still dedicated to iniquity and lawlessness and sinfulness. They are just a show. Their entire Christianity is just in a simple profession of faith. That's not enough faith to save. The faith that saves is a faith powered by the spirit that transforms a life. That's the faith that saves. There are going to be a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus, who go to church, know the Bible, have been baptized, gone into ministry, who will not be in heaven. Why? Because they never actually turned from their sin. They never repented. We all know John 3.16, but listen to John 3.36. I think this is important. Whoever believes in the Son has life. Amen? Whoever believes in the Son has life. Salvation is by faith alone in the grace of God alone. But, Jesus says, whoever does not obey the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There is an obedience aspect to our Christianity, to our faith, that needs to be there. Again, are we going to be perfect? Absolutely not. But are we striving with everything we have to put off sin and put on righteousness? Yes, that's what jesus calls us to what if we fail his mercy is more That's the tension that we live with But this is why paul says do not be deceived in verse 9 We need to be very careful about this See the trouble is not worldly people acting like worldly people is it we get them and the trouble is not The 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 dear saints in jesus whom we look up to who are who are following the lord in righteousness We get that too We know that the the trouble the deception can come when we see somebody who claims the name of jesus And yet we know they're walking in unrepentant sin And then what happens is we go, you know what? Well I'm a sinner too Do I do I call them to repentance? Do I do I call them out for my sin that feels hypocritical doesn't it? You guys we know We know that the walk of the christian life is not perfect. We know that we stumble But we also know when people are going headlong into sin When their life has not changed course or maybe it just changed course for a little while, but they're back to their old ways We need to call them to repentance We do not want to be deceived Every christian struggles with sin But for those whose lives are still defined by sin We need to call them out So With this let's start going through this list And I want to go through it Through the lens of grace The lens of the lens of grace And and so this is my outline I got four points This morning The first is that the grace of Jesus Washes away Sexual immorality The grace of Jesus washes away Sexual immorality Look at verse 9 this is the first sin On the vice list and I think If I'm not mistaken it's on almost Every vice list but he says, "Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, and then you could drop down to the end of verse 10, will inherit the kingdom of God because that that phrase at the end applies to each and every one of those sins. So this is the first on the list, sexually immoral. The word in Greek is pornoi, which is where we get our word pornography. And the word is used a little bit loosely. it can be used, in the Bible is, is sort of this generic catch-all for all kinds of sexual sin um, Or it can be used more technically and I think it's used more technically here And specifically talking about sexual sin outside of a marriage covenant, right? So two unmarried people committing sexual sin. I think that's why he's talking about that And the reason I say that is because because two sins down is the sin of adultery So that's that's violating the marriage covenant that sexual sin When there is a marriage covenant. So sexual immorality. That's the idea. And this is prominent in our culture. And I think we would point to a a myriad of things. But can I tell you something? This has been prominent in every single culture since the dawn of time. There is nothing new under the sun. You know, people talk about the the oldest profession. You know what it is? It's sexual immorality. It's prostitution. This has been around a long time long time. If you read through the earliest chapters of the Bible, you will see all kinds of lewdness, all kinds of immorality. History is filled with the same thing. And I think if we're just honest, most of us have sinned in this area. And most of us have sinned willingly in this area. And we're all even even those of us in Christ are probably on some sort of spectrum of putting this sin to death in our life. In fact, as even as I mentioned this, I'm guessing for some of you this this draws draws guilt out in your heart and you feel shame and and disgrace and i understand that what's verse 11 say and such were some of you such were some of you if this was your old life and you're trying to forget your old life before christ or if this is something that you struggle to put to death even now, understand that sexual immorality is the old man. That's in the past. The truth that we cling to is that you have been washed, you have been sanctified, and you have been justified by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have every grace you need, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to put this sin to death. And you have every grace that you need in the Lord Jesus Christ to have this expunged from your record over and over and over. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. As such were some of you. And let me tell you that God has grace in spades. The deepest, darkest sin that you've ever committed and you hope against hope that no one will ever know, and you don't want to confess it to anybody. You never want anybody to find out, you know who knows? God, and you know what? He loves you anyway. And in Christ, he has forgiven you anyway. He has poured out mercy. He's poured out grace on you. You are no longer defined by that sin. You are defined by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the second thing that the grace of Jesus washes away? It's idolatry. Idolatry. Verse 9, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. We don't think about idolatry a lot in our culture, I don't think, because we don't have trinkets. I think of like the, the Asian countries, you know, where they have like jade trinkets or little metal trinkets or, or different things on their On their mantle or all around their house buddha carvings that sort of thing we don't have those laying around so we don't we don't think about those things i think in the same way that maybe the the earliest christians did but let me tell you that's just visible idolatry we've got all kinds of invisible idolatry most of it goes on right here in our heart that's what we struggle with the most look over a couple of books to the right to colossians chapter three Colossians chapter 3. Colossae was a, a small town uh, with a name that ironically meant very big. And Paul had planted a church there. And uh, in this little letter are some of the most profound teachings of the Christian faith, sort of in compact form. If you want the Cliff's Notes version of biblical and systematic theology, just read Colossians over and over again. In fact, Colossians and Ephesians are are sort of like, they call them twin epistles. They're very much the same content. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, there is an amazing insight about idolatry that maybe we often don't think about. So Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And guess what this is? It's a vice list. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is what it's idolatry covetousness is idolatry it's not just having the trinkets it's not just having the little objects that we bow down to or light incense to it's it's a desire it's an inordinate desire of our hearts and idols can be a lot of things it can be a person maybe there's a person that you always want to impress Maybe it's a girl you like. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a, a person down the street. Maybe, maybe what you really desire, maybe what you covet is a husband or a wife or a baby or a happy family gathering where there's just no arguing. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you want. And you just can't be content without it. You have angst the whole time because you, you live in this tension of wanting this thing, but you can't have it. And you guys, it can even be a good thing that you want, that you can make into a really bad thing. Paul Tripp says that a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a controlling thing. A good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes a controlling thing. When it controls your life, when you're losing sleep, when you're walking in angst, when you're doing everything you can to protect and everything you can to hedge your bets to get that thing or that person or that whatever, that's your idol, that thing. And that idol can be a really good thing intrinsically that we make a bad thing. It can be stuff. Your idol could be your car. It could be video games. Maybe it's someone else's car or a gadget. Maybe it's tools. Maybe it's clothes. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's connections. Or maybe it's just that you're never content at all. You sort of hop from one thing to the next. You hop from one hobby to the next or one issue to the next or one person to the next always seeking f- fulfillment always seeking joy in this thing and you just can't get it and and you've got this this sort of serial hobbies or serial people you know where you just go from one thing to another and you just it's like eating popcorn for every meal it's like it fills you up for five minutes and you're like i'm hungry again and you just need more and more and it never fills never satisfies it could just be a a heart that's filled with idolatry Maybe you desire to be popular you want people to praise you or maybe just not hate you And their praise Is your idol Listen to matthew henry. He said this. It's kind of old english. So bear with me. I'll read it slow He says idolatry is an inordinate love of present good and outward enjoyments Which hinders the proper use and enjoyment of them And it creates anxious fear and immoderate sorrow for the loss of them Covetousness is spiritual idolatry. It is the giving of that love in regard to worldly wealth, which are due to God only and carries a greater degree of malignity in it and is more highly provoking to God than is commonly thought. He's saying, just like what Paul Tripp said, you can take a good thing and make it a bad thing if it's a controlling thing. When we give too much love, too much much gravitas to it, You know what John Calvin said about our heart? He said, our heart is a factory of idols. It's just like churning those babies out by the truckload. Everything that passes us, every advertisement we see, everything we click on, it just, we desire. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Just covetous nonstop. The heart is a factory. This is why, by the way, marketing departments have billions of dollars to spend. They're trying to engender covetousness in our hearts what does paul say and as such what were some of you as such were some of you back in first corinthians 6 in christ we are no longer defined by our idolatry we're no longer defined by the loves that we have in this world the trinkets the people the praise the stuff the right setting We've been given a proper understanding of how to enjoy all the good gifts that God has given to us. Things are good, you guys. I like things. But where do those things come from, those good things? They come from God. And we can praise God for them. And we can appreciate them and enjoy them in a proper amount. And we can know that the Lord gives and the Lord what? He takes away sometimes. And blessed be the name of the Lord when he does. We can have a proper understanding of stuff. And our hearts can be aligned to his heart. And we don't need to be marked by continual desire for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Because we have the Lord who will never ever leave us nor forsake us. We have God with us 100% of the time. And we don't need to long for a bunch of other things. The Lord who is so amazing that if somehow, just like Job, if everything in our lives were stripped away. He's so amazing and all we had was Jesus. You know what? More than enough. More than enough. We were idolaters. We were defined by covetousness. But we have have been washed, we've been sanctified, and we've been justified by Jesus. What's next on Paul's list? Go back to 1 Corinthians 6. Again, verse 9. He says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, so the third is the grace of Jesus washes away adultery. I mentioned before here, this is the technical term, adultery. In Greek, it's moikoi, and it refers specifically to someone who is unfaithful to their spouse. This is sexual sin that violates a marriage covenant that has been made. It's actually a word that is often used by those who claim to follow Jesus, but who are caught up in a lifestyle of sin because they are unfaithful to the covenant every time you guys we sin against the lord there's a sense in which we commit adultery spiritually against the lord because we are violating our covenants and that's why james says in chapter 4 verse 4 of his epistle he says you adulterous people do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with who with god he's not saying they're all guilty of adultery he's saying they're all guilty of sin And when they make friends with the the sinful world, it's like they're committing adultery against God. Those who love the world aren't faithful to God. But that picture is taken from the severe sinful tragedy of marital unfaithfulness. Violating the marriage covenant, frankly, is something that the unbelieving world applauds. Sing songs about it. They make movies about it. TV shows about it. The whole gist. Everything. It's normalized and incentivized and laughed at in romantic comedies. It's a fling. It's an affair. It's no big deal. No, it's forsaking the husband of our youth. It's forsaking the wife of our youth. It's a violation of our vow to God to forsake all others. Does the grace of God cover this? Absolutely. And as such were some of you. But you were washed You were justified and you were sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been cleansed. You have been declared righteous by every member of the triune Godhead. By the way, do you get that in verse 11? This isn't just Jesus that is affecting your cleansing. This is the entire triune Godhead. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Every person of the Trinity there washing you, cleansing you, justifying you permanently forever in grace. Number four, the grace of Jesus washes away the sin of homosexuality. Again, verse 9, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And I want to spend just a little bit more time on this vice because it's so important as to what's going on in our society right now and sort of the revolution that is just going warp speed through our culture. And I'm going to keep this discussion PG-rated because we've got kids here. But I will say that if you have kids, you need to talk to them about this issue. You 100% need to talk to your kids. Many public school districts begin teaching kindergartners and preschoolers about this issue. They begin the indoctrination early. There's there's drag queen story hour going on. You know who goes to those? Little kids. The assault is nonstop and it begins in childhood. And as believers, we need to have frank and honest discussions. I would say age appropriate discussions with our children. But we this is not a place and a time for timidity. We need to understand this, and they need to understand this. And one of the ways, by the way, to teach your kids is simply just to read the Bible. You read through Genesis, you will touch on all of these sins, every single one. And you can filter it for your children in an age-appropriate kind of way. But we need to spend a little bit more time on this because, as you know... Homosexuality has become the defining discussion of our day You cannot read a newspaper hear a report read something online watch a tv news story Whatever without someone talking about lgbtqi plus whatever rights It is a non-stop assault trans men trans women Quote-unquote people who give birth. You know what those are? Those will be women who give birth. That's that's the only people who give birth There's a reason that that There are these trans men, quote-unquote, dominating in women's sports. You know why? Because they're men. That's why. They're not women. I don't care what they identify as. There's only male. There's only female in the image of God. Religious adoption agencies are getting shut down by the state and on and on. We need to understand this. Turn back to Romans 1. I told you we would go there again. In Romans 1, we have this downward spiral of society, and I mentioned it begins by God giving people over to sexual sin, and then he gives them over to their homosexual sin, and then the rock bottom is when he gives them over to a debased mind where where all morality is just inverted. What's up is down, and what's down is up. So in Romans 1, down in verse 24, after basically condemning all mankind because they make idols out of birds and animals and creeping things verse 24 he says therefore god gave them up or some of you have, god gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather the creator than the creator who is blessed forever amen and then this is step two. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. That we call that lesbianism. Twenty-seven. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And step three is in verse twenty-eight. And since they did not fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up or gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then he goes through that vice list that we read earlier. Can I tell you something about our current cultural revolution, the sexual revolution that's going on? This is nothing new. When did Paul write this? It's 2,000 years ago, you guys. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. You look back at Genesis. 6,000 years ago. Sodom and Gomorrah were in chapter 18. And it was so bad in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, you have to think, okay, well, given our trajectory as a culture, where was, where were, how long had Sodom and Gomorrah been going down that road? Probably a long time. So it probably stretches even earlier into Genesis when this depravity is, is going on. And by the way, most people, the depravity that happened with Noah and, and Canaan and Ham, most scholars speculate that there was something homosexual going on there this depravity goes back all the way to the flood that's how bad it's always been going on so we have this lgbtqi plus whatever we have l lesbian well that's just a type of homosexuality where romans 126 says women exchange the natural desire for unnatural ones nothing new nothing new this has been going on a long long time G is gay, it's homosexuality among men. By the, wor- by the way, the word used, at least back in 1 Corinthians 6, I didn't check it here in, in, in Romans, but it's actually two words in Romans, or in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's what we might call the male side of homosexuality, it's the female side of homosexuality. It's the active and passive partners in a homosexual, homosexual relationship. Both of them are guilty of their sin. In recent times, we don't really make that distinction. But in ancient times, they made the distinction. You know, it's interesting, though. In almost every homosexual relationship, whether it's lesbian or gay, there ends up being the quote-unquote man, and there ends up being the quote-unquote woman. It's like they, they automatically conform into God's pattern in a, this weird, twisted way anyway. They know it's right, the, the pattern, the, the proper pattern. What they're doing, of course, is wrong, and they're trying to twist it. This is nothing new. Paul knew this. The Romans knew this. So there's LGB. B is bisexual. It's just a form of homosexuality. And, and without getting into the details, you need to understand that this was rampant in Roman times. The Caesar had his own little thing going on. Everybody knew about this. I mean, you, you, we, we see what's going on around our world. Like We're like, man, if, if that was going on in the White House, huh, well, I think we're pretty close to, to probably heading down that road anyway. But that was going on in Roman times when Paul wrote these things. And what about T? T, of course, stands for transgender. And I think transgender transgender is especially egregious because not only does it express itself in homosexual behavior, I think it is a there is an aspect of homosexuality there, but it is a rejection of God's design in making them male and female in his image. It's a rejection of how God has made... The individual person. It's rejecting that God has made people with certain equipment, certain plumbing for men, and certain equipment and certain plumbing for women. And He desires us to live out our lives and utilize that for His glory and not to exchange it around. By the way, did you know that there are laws in the Bible against transgender behavior? Turn over to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. This is something like 1,400 years before Jesus. Nothing new. Cross-dressing, transgender, drag queens. There's nothing new under the sun. These, these sins, you guys, did not develop five years ago with Obergefell v. Hodges in the Supreme Court case. They've been going on a long time. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. He says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment... Nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. Forever who, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. So let's, let's be really clear here. The issue is not fashion. That's not, that's not what's on the line. It's not, it's not kids playing dress up. It's not you know girls playing with G.I. Joes or boys playing with dolls. The, the issue at hand is a man trying to be the woman. Or a woman trying to play the part of a man. And the, and the, the obvious implication here is sexually. That, that's, what, that's what's on Moses' mind. The ancient Hebrews did not have terms like transgender or cisgender or sexuality or spectrum or anything like that. You know what they had? They had, that's a dude who looks like a lady. And they had, that's a lady who looks like a dude. And that's what he's talking about. It's transgenderism, right here. 3400 years ago. And it was an abomination then and it's an abomination now. As for the q and the plus and the whole spectrum, most of it is just some form of sexual confusion or societal conformity to the craziness of our co- time. I think God has given our culture over to a lot of this. Maybe there's some maybe there's some mental stuff, but at the base of it is is a depraved mind. It's sin. But get this, it is sin that can be repented of. It is sin that can be turned from. Because what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 6? And as such were some of you. As such were some of you. Some of the Corinthians had come out of the LGBTQ plus whatever lifestyle. They had forsaken that. For the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace covered their sin. You guys, we need to understand as much as it, it, it might make us feel yucky or, or whatever. The grace of Jesus can pull people out of the LGBTQ plus QI, whatever society. The grace of Jesus covers every single sin. This sin is no different than any others. Maybe some of you have left that sin. Praise Jesus. Praise jesus that he's pulled you out of that or maybe you know people who have struggled with that praise jesus He has pulled them out of that because the grace of jesus is that powerful and let me just touch on one other thing Maybe you're a believer who came out of that or maybe you know A believer who came out of that and they still struggle with what we might call same-sex attraction Just because we come to faith in jesus doesn't mean all of our old desires instantly vanish just like anybody who is, who is heterosexual and they come to faith in Jesus. It's not like sexual immorality desires instantly vanish. No one takes years of putting those things to death. They don't evaporate overnight, and many times neither does same-sex attraction. We live in a sin-stained world, and sometimes sin takes a long time to put off. There's a, there's a, a great book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It's the story of Rosaria Butterfield. Who came out of the lesbian community slowly over time and embraced faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And she's actually now a pastor's wife. And it's just amazing. It's her journal of her thoughts, is what she went through as she heard the gospel and she met with Christians and she slowly came to an understanding of the gospel. We can't put that sin off on our own, but through the grace of Jesus, we can. Through the grace of Jesus, all things are made new. We need to understand that homosexuality, and get this, homosexuality is not the unpardonable sin. It's not. It is a sin that the grace of Jesus can cover and forgive fully to any who trust in Christ and repent for their sin. You guys, this is the glorious grace of Jesus. The sins that maybe have defined us in the past, they don't define us anymore. It's Jesus and him alone. His righteousness that defines us let's praise our lord together through prayer father we thank you that you have washed us you have justified us you have made us clean in christ and lord may we not have a spirit thinking that somehow we are better than others lord may we be all the more humble knowing that that we're no better than anyone around us yet in your grace you sought fit to reach down and pull us out of the mire and save us and so we praise you for that Lord, may we share this hope with others. May they not view us as judgmental, but may they view us as compassionate, knowing that we too have walked in their steps. And you too, Lord Jesus, have been tempted in every single way. And so you can sympathize with sinners. And we ask that you would save them. We pray in your name. Amen.